All right, Saul Company, how you guys doing? I will try that one more time because Leo did it. How you guys doing? Oh. It's a sippy cup. <clears throat> Chronicles continue, you know. All right, anyways, guys, I met a friend during meet and greet. This is Will. Will, do you want to raise your hand? Will is, Will is seven feet tall, which is two feet taller than I am, so that was pretty depressing for me, but very exciting to meet you, Will. Uh, welcome to Salt Company, guys. Uh, it's really good to be with you guys. My name is Tony. I'm on staff with the Salt Company, and tonight we are continuing our lineage series. Have you guys liked lineage so far? Come on, OT, which stands for Old Testament. Very exciting, hip and cool. So, excited to be with you guys uh, tonight. Uh, Rachel said it, but if this is your, new your first time at Salt Company, thanks for being here, especially if you're up in the balcony. It's always very encouraging to see you guys. Um, we love that you guys are here. We recognize that it can be a scary thing to step into a new place like this. So we just want to honor you by saying thanks for being here. We love that you guys are here. Uh, I loved Leo's intro shepherding thing. Uh, and I was just thinking about that verse, actually, like, do not be anxious about anything. And I was at Starbucks a couple hours ago, and I was just feeling pretty anxious. And I was like, ah, oh, shoot. The Bible told me not to do that, you know. But it's true. Like, I was just actually feeling pretty anxious and afraid. And I was just like processing with God, like why is that? And I think I've been feeling that way for a little bit, but the way I've been trying to fight my anxiety has been with like activity and doing things. So I've just been doing more, trying to work harder, whatever, all that kind of stuff. And I just felt like God was like, be still and know that I am God. And maybe instead of doing more, you can just like trust me more. And I just feel like that's maybe like the theme of tonight, like Leo intro like that. I'm like getting wrecked by God. And that's my hope for all of you guys. That if you're here and you're feeling anxious about the future, your life, all the different things that you got to get done and all the world-changing plans that you have, that God would actually meet you in your stillness tonight and he would speak to you. So let me just pray that that would be true for all of us and then we can jump into the sermon tonight. Be still and know that you are God. Jesus, I... Yeah, I just feel like I'm, I'm anxious and afraid. And yeah, Lord, we need you. I think there's a lot of people in this room tonight that probably feel like life is out of control, that feel overwhelmed and maybe even just tired of being tired. Like they've been tired for a minute and, and they're questioning, Father, if you're with them right now. They're questioning what it looks like to kind of get out of this pain of anxiety and this pain of depression and yeah, Jesus, we do pray that the stillness of the Spirit would speak to us tonight. That something in Joshua 2 would kind of help our minds click back into place to remember that we can trust you, that you are a promise-keeping God, and that you will always come through on every one of your promises. And just as you're with Joseph, Abraham, and Rahab, so you will be with us. So, Father, we do pray for just the Spirit to be heavy in this room tonight. We do pray for people to be transformed for wounds to be healed, and for people to be brought near to you tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Here's the intro question for you guys. Is have you ever felt like an outsider? So the way I'm going to describe that is by feeling like you don't belong, like you're not at home. Okay, so for me, I feel like most of my life I've felt like a social outsider. Two reasons why. One is because I just feel like I'm kind of weird. Like I've been told that a lot by people, which feels like not a cool thing to tell someone, but I've been like eerily intense for most of my life, so I'm trying to chill out, you know? 
take a chill pill, relax, be still before God, you know? And the other reason why is because I consistently say things where I instantly regret them. You know what I'm saying? Like, you say it, and you're like, no, come back. Like, I gotta, I just, I regret it. I'm so sorry. That's tough. The second reason why I feel like I'm a social outsider is because um, I, I hate small talk so much. You know what I'm saying? Like, no? Do you guys like small talk? Meet and greet is like the scariest time of the month for me. I'm like, I can't do it. It's too much. Like, small talk that's three to five minutes long is the absolute worst because it's long enough to, like, say hi, but not long enough to get to know actually how they're doing. So you just keep saying things, okay? Scariest part of my month. Like, right there, I just I can't do it. So I feel like a social outsider. And, and I don't know what you've kind of come in here with tonight. I, I don't know kind of what your story is. But my guess is that there are places or parts of your life where you feel like an outsider. My guess is that there's actually places and, and pockets of your life where you feel like you don't belong. And maybe for you, that's actually in your family, which I know can sound a little bit weird, that, that home was meant to be home. But every time you go home, you kind of feel like you don't belong. Like you have to impress your parents, you have to fit in, that it's not actually your home. Or maybe for you, it's actually your relationships and your friendships, and you're in this like big friend group where like everyone looks like they're having fun, but everyone like secretly is super insecure. Like, am I actually part of this group? Do I actually belong, or am I an outsider even in this group? Or maybe for you, your experience has been like mine, where you spent your whole life code switching. Between minority and majority culture, you kind of walk this cultural and ethnic line for all of your life, and you're asking the question, where do I actually belong? Or am I an outsider in every camp that I'm in? Or maybe for you, you actually feel like an outsider in this room. That you're here and you're carrying this guilt and shame of the sins and the story of your past. And you're asking the question, do I belong here? Does God have anything to say about if I belong here tonight? And here's the good news for all of us, okay? Here's the big idea of the sermon we can put up on the screen. But God loves redeeming outsiders. Open up your Bibles with me to Joshua chapter 2. It's six books into the Bible. You can do it, okay? Joshua chapter 2. I make that noise so often, I don't know why I do that. It just doesn't make sense. I don't know why I do that. Anyways, turn with me to Joshua chapter 2 as we enter into Rahab's story. Rahab's story. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly into Shidom, Long I, as spies. If you ever... If you ever read the Bible publicly, just Google it, okay, because you can make a big mistake. So that's Shidem. Anyways, I actually had to Google it. Like, I'm not lying. Like, I listened to it, and I was like, I got I to gotta really get this one down. As spies, <laughs> saying, go into the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, a men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I do not know where they are from. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's tough. (laughs) I was like, this is going to be good, because it doesn't make the sound, and then it did. If you're new here, it's it's been kind of a long, year-long process for all of us. I'm sorry, it's like family drama. Anyways, it's just such an inside joke. Okay, that's really a bummer. 
So anyways, we're going to talk about this story tonight in Joshua chapter 2. And this is actually one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. It's a really, really beautiful story of how God chooses a woman named Rahab, who is a true outsider in every single way, and uses her to actually hide the spies of the people of Israel and allows her to actually save, in some ways, the nation of Israel and the Messianic line. So it's an absolutely beautiful story, but it's also somewhat of a startling story. And here's why. is the main character of the story tonight was known as one thing with one name and one identity, and that was Rahab the prostitute. And I want to pause here, actually, and just take a moment to, to step aside and say that as I break down Rahab's condition, as I break down Rahab's life and her experience, this might be specifically triggering for some of you in this room. And so I have two things that I want to say to you if, if you've experienced some type of sexual abuse or you are currently in a situation where you're being abused sexually. And the first thing I want to say is I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that we live in a sinful world where a sinful man or a sinful woman used your body for their pleasure but did not give you the dignity of being an image bearer of God. And I'm sorry that maybe it sticks with you every single day and you feel isolated and alone because it's something that happened in your past that impacts every single day of your life. And I'm sorry that maybe as you reflect on that season, you might even think deep down that you deserve some of that. And as Sophie shared her story last Thursday, which that was like, I mean, I was just crying. I was literally like, Sophie, this is amazing. But as she shared her story last Thursday, and as I was beginning thinking forward to the Rahab text, I just want to encourage you to, to let people in. And I know how scary that can be with trauma and abuse because sometimes you don't even have words for what you're feeling. Sometimes you don't even have language for what you've been through. But my encouragement would be let people in. And after worship and, and after the service, our staff will be up here in the front, and we'd love to just give you a hug, remind you of who you are in Christ, that you have dignity beyond what you can understand, and ask God to continue healing in your life. And the second thing I want to say to you is I've been praying for you, like, all week, and I've been praying that the Spirit of God would be so heavy on you tonight. That this would impact all of us, that all of us would see that we're all a bit of an outsider, that Rahab's story is reminiscent of our story, but also that your story would have a fresh perspective as you see the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, choose, redeem, and make righteous a woman like Rahab, and that it would actually give dignity to your story and that you would be able to see it rightly. There's a lot of words in this story that I could preach, but I want to zoom in on three words. Rahab, the prostitute, and begin to describe to you the condition of her life. I want you to see that this label carried immense weight in her culture and on in ours. And no one became a prostitute because they wanted to. No one became a prostitute because that was their career ambition. And it's very likely that Rahab became a prostitute because she was born into an impoverished family or left on a, a ledge somewhere where as soon as her body began to mature, she had to sell it to make a living. She had to sell it to put food on the table. This is a woman who was likely used and abused all of her life. And I know we talked about this last week, but this is why I love the Bible. Because the Bible is not saying to you that your pain isn't real. Your Bible is not saying to you that there's a different world in the Bible than in this world. But your Bible is saying to you that God loves broken people. Your Bible is saying to you that God redeems broken people. And this woman 
was a woman who only received kisses when she was paid for them. A woman who only received affection when she did a good job with her client. A woman who only received approval when she sold her body and the person, the man who was more rich and powerful than her approved of her body. And yet, what I love about this story, man, is that she may have been the last person that anyone would ever choose, that anyone would make a hero, that anyone would want to know, but God. Saul company, but God chose Rahab to make her a hero of the Israeli people and of the Bible. I want to show you that something's really beautiful in this story, that Rahab's life was a scandalous life, but she was not the most scandalous character in this story. That if you read this story with the right lens, you would see that the most scandalous character in this story is the God who came to pursue Rahab, who saw the outsider and said, I want to lavish love upon her. And I was just thinking about this story of Rahab, and I'm like, this is so crazy. Because up until this point in Rahab's life, up until this point in Rahab's story, the only love that she would have known was love that could be bought. Only love that she could have known was love that was paid for. And then this is what God does. He lavishes out the free gift of grace upon her life. A transformational, radically different type of love than anything she's experienced in her story. And as God gives the gift of love that cannot be paid for or bought, God begins to redeem her. But my question is why? I know we kind of talked about this a little bit last week, but why does God choose a prostitute, not a prophet? Why does God choose the powerless, not the powerful? Why does God choose the oppressed, not the oppressor? Because God is trying to show us that salvation and purpose doesn't come from Rahab or because of Rahab, but because of grace and from grace. Okay, so what can we learn from this beautiful introduction to a scandalous God and his reckless love towards Rahab? I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. That no one is outside of the grace of God. That no one is outside of the grace of God. And here's what that means. All of us would be like, yeah, Tony, I get that. I nod my head to that. But as I say that, there's probably someone in your life that you're like, God can't touch that. There's probably someone in your life that you're like, God will never redeem that person. And maybe for you, it's someone in your family that you've told about Jesus and, and they just kind of make fun of you. And you're like, there's no way that God could redeem that person. They're too far from God. Or maybe for you, it's the, it's the roommate or the friend in class or the guy on the team that's consistently getting drunk and laughs at you when you invite them to salt company. There's no way that God can make that person come to know him. But here's what the story of Rahab teaches us. That literally Rahab, like I, guess I cannot describe to you the amount of historical context there is in the story. It's so awesome. But she is the exact last person in all of the city of Jericho that anyone would ever choose, redeem, and make righteous. But God. God chose Rahab, which means there's not a single soul on this side of heaven that is too far from the grace of God. And here's what that means for you as well. That means that if you're here in this room tonight, which you guys exist, you're here, okay? And you believe that you're too far gone for the grace of God. And you believe that the culmination of your past sins and your shame and your brokenness disqualify you from a relationship with God. Here's what God wants to say to you. He saved Rahab and chose her, not because she deserved it or because she earned it, but because he was a gracious God. And here's what he wants to say to you. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve his love. 
But his love cannot be bought or paid for. It can only be given as a good grace, a gift, great gift of grace. And that's what he's offering to you tonight. So as I was thinking about how God just like radically transforms people, I thought about my friend Jalil. I don't know if you guys know him. Very nice guy. Yeah, we can clap for Jalil. He's great. It's like I name dropped that, like he's a celebrity, you know? So you guys were like, well, do we clap at that? <laughs> okay, anyways, so I was thinking about my friend Jalil. Uh, rewind, I almost said fast forward. Rewind to fall kickoff. Some of you guys were there, okay? Good time, yeah. Basement. Didn't plan well logistically, but God was gracious, okay? I remember after the service, I walk outside, and Jalil just walks towards me with crazy eyes, man. Like, I'm telling you, he had a look on his face, and I was like, uh-oh. Like, normally when you get that kind of look, you're like... This person hated my sermon. Like, you're just like, I messed up. But anyways, Julio walks up to me. He's like, dude, I got to talk to you. And then we just begin to hang out. And, and what's so awesome is up until that point, Julio had not been in a worship service for like years, you know? He was not thinking about God, and he probably thought that God wasn't thinking about him. But God tracked him down. And week after week after week, I got to watch the Spirit of God, choose, redeem, and make righteous, my friend, Jalil. And it made me worship. Like, I literally, like, cried often after our meetups. I didn't tell him because that's awkward, you know? I'm not going to text him that. Cried after we hung out. What? Don't want to do that. That's weird. It's socially uncomfortable. But I did, like, all the time. Because in real time, I got to see what God does. That Jalil probably didn't even think about it. Like, seven months ago, eight months ago, you probably wouldn't have been like, eh, didn't think I'd be here, Right? But here's what God has done. He has radically transformed his life. And I'm so, so thankful for that. And not only is that Rahab's story, not only is that my story, not only is Jaleel's story, but that's all of our stories. That if you're here, God has done a miraculous work. Like, it's amazing. Like, you ever think about that? That you're here worshiping like a dead carpenter from 2,000 years ago. Like, actually, that's what we're doing right now. Wild. God's miraculous grace poured out on you. This is scandalous love stuff. And I'm thankful for Jalil, and I'm thankful for the way that God chooses, redeems, and makes righteous people. So not only does God choose her, but he redeems her. So we're going to go part two, Rahab the redeemed, 8 through 11. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the man, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and all the inhabitants of the land will melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water from the Red Sea before you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shihon, I don't know, and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Not as bad that time, actually. It's pretty good. Okay, so at this point in the story, God sends Israelite spies into Jericho, which was a city that they had to conquer in order to get to the promised land. It's this whole thing. And then he sends them there, and then Rahab houses them. And then the Jericho king come knocking on Rahab's door, okay? And she creatively misdirects them. In other words, she straight up lies to his face, okay? And in lieu of that, I actually want to ask the question, why? Right? Because at this time, if you kind of do some historical context research, which I know you probably won't do, but if you do, it's like awesome. The king of Jericho, if, if found out that Rahab would have lied to her, would have dragged her from her house, stripped her naked in the public streets, and murdered her. 
That's the consequences of her faith. So the question is, why? Why would she lie to the king of Jericho? Because she knew a more powerful king. She was willing to risk her life because she knew that the king of the heaven and the earth was more powerful than the king of Jericho. Isn't that so awesome? Like, whoa, I was like, that's amazing. Okay, here's what she says in verses 9 through 11 to describe this king. She says that she knew that Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, would keep his promises and would give them the land. She knew that the God who split the sea could storm the city. She knew that that God was a powerful God. And here's what she says in verse 11 about who that God is. She says, the Lord, for the Lord your God, he's the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. See, she was able to risk her life by hiding the spies because she knew that there was a king in heaven more powerful than the king of Jericho. So I'll come in. Here's my question for you. Is do you have a fear of God like that? Do you see his power and bow down? Do you melt in the presence of an all-powerful God? Because here's the reality. In your life, there are going to be a lot of Rahab moments where you're going to have to decide who are you going to bow to? The king of heaven and earth King Jesus or the king of Jericho? Will you bow down to the king of the universe or your buddy who tells you to take a sip? Will you bow down to the king who split the sea or you'll bow into sexual pressure or temptation? Who will you bow down to? And in the moments of faith, here's the question that we have to ask. Who's who's the more powerful God? Is it peer pressure? Is it a drink? Is it your lustful thoughts and your intentions? Or is it the king who made the heavens and the earth, who split the seas, who stormed the city, redeemed Rahab, and will redeem you? That's the question we have to ask in moments of faith. But I love what God does for Rahab. is that as she confesses that he is Lord, he redeems her. In his kindness, he redeems Rahab by giving her a new place, a new purpose, and a new people. You can write that down. There's some alliteration there. It might be helpful. Here's what God does. Rahab was born into a city that despised Rahab. She literally lived within the wall confines of the walls of Jericho. You know, like the whole seven things around and the tumbling down. You know, that song. Okay. She lived in the actual wall. That city despised her. So God gives her a new place. Not Jericho, but Judea. The people of God. In the place of God. Not only does he give her a new place, but he gives her a new purpose. See, up until that point in her life, all her life was about was being a prostitute. All her life was about was selling her body for a meal. But then God makes her a hero. From a prostitute to a hero, a new purpose, and lastly, a new people. No longer outside of the family of God, but inside of the family of God. This is who God is. God is a redeeming God who makes heroes out of prostitutes who makes victors out of victims and is transforming us all. From Jericho to Judea, God is transforming Rahab's life and redeeming her. And so if you're taking notes at this point, here's what I want you to write down. That no one is too broken to be redeemed and used by God. No one is too broken to be redeemed and used by God. Um, I know I've kind of shared some of this with you guys, and if you've been coming for some weeks, you're like, this guy's really messed up. True. Um, it's true. Uh, I've, I've struggled with depression a lot for like the last couple years, and um, 
it's gotten a lot better now, which is really, really sweet. But in the fall, it was actually pretty bad. And I remember days where I actually wouldn't be able to get out of bed, which is not good when you have a job and you have to like, go do things, right? And I remember moments in my life in the fall, as Salt Company was like, honestly, like, amazing. I remember asking God the question, like, am I too broken to be used by you? Like, actually, I was like, is this, is this not what you're calling me to right now? And I feel like what he was teaching me in that season of my life is the answer was God was going to use me, not because of me, but actually in spite of me. And here's what's true about your life is you're actually going to assume that God will use you when you're on your high rooftop moments, which I hope he does. I hope he does. But sometimes what God does is he uses you in your lowest moments to teach you something really important, that God does not use you because you're qualified, and God does not use you because you're, impu- you're impressive, but God will use you not because of you, but in spite of you, because he wants to show his radical power and salvation of grace moving through broken vessels that know that it's not about them. And so if you want to be used by God, here's what I want you to remember. The pathway to be used by God is to realize that anytime you get to do anything that produces fruit in the kingdom of God, it's not because of you, it's in spite of you. That it's the spirit of God in you, moving through you. As I call the band back up, here's how we'll close tonight. This is so cool. I'm just going to do this thing over and over again, lineage. We're going to connect the entire biblical narrative because it's that beautiful, okay? Here's the radical grace of God. Not only does he redeem the outsider, he actually makes the outsider righteous. Okay, get this. This is awesome, okay? And Joshua 2, Rahab's name is the prostitute. In James 2, I mean, that's, that's cool. You know what I mean? Joshua to James. He calls her righteous. See, God gives Rahab a brand new name. And not only does he do that, not only does he redeem her name, but he actually redeems her story throughout the biblical narrative. From Joshua all the way to Hebrews 11, she's actually found in the hall of faith, of faithful believers that have believed in God before Jesus' coming. She is named as a hero in that chapter. So from Rahab the prostitute to Rahab the hero and the righteous, that is God redeeming her name, not just through the biblical, not just through her life, but throughout the entire biblical narrative. But it doesn't end there, because here's what God does. He doesn't just cite her name in James and in Hebrews 11. He actually cites her name in Matthew chapter 1, in the lineage of King Jesus. Here's what it says. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Here's what I want you guys to see. This is stinking awesome. That the woman that no one wanted to associate with, God chose to associate with him. With. He wanted to make it unbelievably clear that God came from sinners for sinners. From Judah to Jesus, from Rahab to Jesus. He wanted us to know that he had come from the same bloodline of people that no one would ever expect. This is the lineage of Jesus. This is the story of Rahab. And he did that to prove two things that there is no one too far for the grace and mercy of God and there's no one too broken to be used by him. But as we end here, I wanna show you that this story isn't ultimately about God redeeming the outsider, it's actually about God becoming the outsider. See, here's what was true about Rahab, is she was the farthest possible person, the least likely person to ever be chosen, redeemed, and made righteous by God. 
But centuries later, there would be a better and truer Rahab who didn't just hide the spies in his house, but would hide your sins in his body, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life, who bowed to the king of heaven, not the prince of this world, who saw Rahab and saw you and thousands of years before you were born said, I will become an outsider so that you can be in the family of God. And here's how Jesus became an outsider for you. Gosh, Jesus is so awesome, man. He came to earth not as a powerful and a rich man, but as a poor carpenter, a part of an oppressed minority. He came to be earth not to be lavished with food, drink, and wine, to be glorified with whips and scars and thorns and nails. And on the cross, he said, Abba, Abba, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, here's what Jesus did. He was actually separated from the love of God. He became an outsider from the love of God so that you who are once outside could be brought near. This is the blood of Jesus, the blood that corrected all of the pain, that paid for all of the sin, that brought outsiders inside. This is who Jesus is. See, this is not just a story of God redeeming the outsider. This is a story of redeeming you by becoming the outsider. So tonight, here's my invitation for you. If you feel like you're too far from God, if you feel like the grace of God is too far for you, take a look at the cross and see that God himself went far from his own love so that you who were once far could be brought near to him. Jesus Christ is here and he's with you as you worship. You can be invited into the family of God tonight. No one is too far out from the God of, from the grace, from the weight of grace. Let me pray. Yeah, Father, I love that story because it shows us that, Father, you love to redeem the outsider. You love that. You are in the business of picking, choosing, redeeming, making righteous people who are far from you that no one would ever choose. And Jesus, what I love most about that story is it reminds me of my story. It reminds me of the stories of everyone in this room who knows you, that at once they were an outsider, but because you became an outsider, we could come in. Because we were once far, you went far to bring us near. Jesus, we trust that tonight, that Father, you are the same God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Rahab and of Joseph and with us today, Jesus Christ, you are the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, you are far more powerful than any other king of this world, that you are the King of the heavens and the earth, and we believe that tonight, Jesus. So for, the, for those of us in here who feel like we are too far from you, draw us near. For those of us in here that we feel like we have disqualified ourselves through our pain and our sin and our past, draw us near tonight. Jesus, we pray. Your powerful name. Amen. Amen.